0: Chapter Nine of the Struggles of Brown, Jones, and Robinson by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Showing how Mr. Robinson was employed on the opening day. Et tu brute, were the words with which Mr. Brown was greeted at six o'clock in the morning on that eventful day when at early dawn he met his young partner at Magenta House. He had never studied the history of Caesar's death, but he understood the reproach as well as any Roman ever did. "'It was your own doing, George,' he said, "'when she was swore at in that way, and when you went away and left her?' "'It was she went away and left me.' "'Father,' said she, when she came back, I shall put myself under the protection of Mr. William Brisket. What was I to do then? And when he came himself ten minutes afterwards, what was I to say to him? A father is a father, George, and one's children is one's children. And they are to be married? Not quite at once, George. No, the mercenary slaughterer will reject that fair hand at last, unless it comes to him weighted with a money-bag. From whence are to come those five hundred pounds without which William Brisket will not allow your daughter to warm herself at his hearthstone. As Jones has got the partnership, George, Mary Ann's husband should have something. Ah, yes, it is I, then. I, as one of the partners of this house, who am to bestow a dowry upon her who has injured me, and make happy the avarice of my rival? Since the mimic stage first represented the actions of humanity, no such fate as that has ever been exhibited as the lot of man. Be it so, bring hither the check-book. That hand that was base enough to renounce her shall, with the same pen, write the order for the money. No, George, no, said Mr. Brown. I never meant to do that, let him have it out of the profits. Ha! I said, in a month, if things went well. Of course I meant well enough. But they'll lead you such a life as never man passed yet. Marianne, you know, can be bitter, very bitter. I must bear it, George. I've been a-bearing it a long while, and I'm partly used to it. But, George, it isn't a pleasure to me. It isn't a pleasure to a poor old father to be nagged at by his daughters from his very breakfast down to his very supper, and they comes to me sometimes in bed, nagging at me worse than ever. My heart has often bled for you, Mr. Brown. I know it has, George, and that's why I've loved you and trusted you, and now you won't quarrel with me, will you, though I have a little thrown you over like?' What was Robinson to say? Of course he forgave him. It was in his nature to forgive, and he would even have forgiven Marianne at that moment had she come to him and asked him. But she was asleep in her bed, dreaming, perchance, of that big Philistine whom she had chosen as her future lord. A young David, however, might even yet arise who should smite that huge giant with a stone between the eyes. Then did Mr. Brown communicate to his partner those arrangements as to grouping, which his younger daughter had suggested for the opening of the house. When Robinson first heard that Marianne intended to be there, he declared his intention of standing by her side, though he would not deign even to look her in the face. She shall see that she has no power over me to make me quail, he said, and then he was told that Brisket also would be there. Marianne had begged the favor of him, and he had unwillingly consented. It is hard to bear, said Robinson, very hard, but it shall be borne. I do not remember ever to have heard of the like. He won't come often, George, you may be sure. That I should have planned these glories for him. Well, well, be it so. What is the pageantry to me? it has been merely done to catch the butterflies, and of these he is surely the largest. I will sit alone above and work there with my brain for the service of the firm, while you below are satisfying the eyes of the crowd. And so it had been, as was told in that chapter which was devoted to the opening day of the house. Robinson had sat alone in the very room in which he had encountered Brisket and had barely left his seat for one moment when the first rush of the public into the shop had made his heart leap within him. There the braying of the horn in the street, and the clatter of the armed horsemen on the pavement, and the jokes of the younger boys, and the angry threatenings of the policemen reached his ears. "'It is well,' said he, "'the ball has been set a-rolling, and the work that has been well begun is already half-completed.' when once the steps of the unthinking crowd have habituated themselves to move hitherward, they will continue to come with the constancy of the tide which ever rolls itself on the same strand. And then he tasked himself to think how that tide should be made always to flow, never to ebb. They must be brought here, said he, ever by new allurements when once they come, it is only in accordance with the laws of human nature that they should leave their money behind them. Upon that he prepared the words for another card in which he begged his friends, the public of the city, to come to Magenta House as friends should come. They were invited to see and not to buy. The firm did not care that purchases should be made thus early in their career. Their great desire was that the arrangements of the establishment should be witnessed before any considerable portion of the immense stock had been moved for the purpose of retail sale. And then the West End public were especially requested to inspect the furs which were being collected for the anticipated sale of the next winter. It was as he wrote these words that he heard that demand for the African monkey muff and heard also Mr. Jones' discreet answer. Yes, said he to himself, before we have done, ships shall come to us from all coasts, real ships, from Tyre and Sidon they shall come, from Ophir and Tarshish, from the east and from the west, and from the balmy southern islands. How sweet will it be to be named among the merchant princes of this great commercial nation! but he felt that Brown and Jones would never be merchant princes, and he already looked forward to the day when he would be able to emancipate himself from such thraldom. It has been already said that a considerable amount of business was done over the counter on the first day, but that the sum of money taken was not as great as had been hoped. That this was caused by Mr. Brown's injudicious mode of going to work, there could be no doubt, he had filled the shelves of the shop with cheap articles for which he had paid, and had hesitated in giving orders for heavy amounts to the wholesale houses. Such orders had, of course, been given, and in some cases had been given in vain, but quite enough of them had been honored to show what might have been done, had there been no hesitation. As a man of capital, I must object, he had said to Mr. Robinson, only a week before the house was opened, "'I wish I could make you understand that you have no capital.' "'I would I could divest you of the idea, and the money, too,' said Robinson. "'But it was all of no use. "'A domestic fowl that has passed all its days at a barn door "'can never soar on the eagle's wing. "'Now Mr. Brown was the domestic fowl, "'while the eagle's pinion belonged to his youngest partner.' by whom in that firm the kite was personified, shall not here be stated. Brisket on that day soon left the shop, but as Marianne Brown remained there, Robinson did not descend among the throng. There was no private door to the house, and therefore he was forced to walk out between the counters when he went to his dinner. On that occasion he passed close by Miss Brown, and met that young lady's eye without quailing. She looked full upon him, and then, turning her face round to her sister, tittered with an air of scorn. I think he's been very badly used, said Sarah Jane. And who has he got to blame but his own want of spirit, said the other. This was spoken in the open shop, and many of the young men and women heard it. Robinson, however, merely walked on, raising his hat, and saluting the daughters of the senior partner but it must be acknowledged that such remarks as that greatly aggravated the misery of his position. It was on the evening of that day when he was about to leave the establishment for the night that he heard a gentle creeping step on the stairs, and presently Mrs. Jones presented herself in the room in which he was sitting. Now, if there was any human fellow-creature on the face of the earth whom George Robinson had brought himself to hate, that human fellow-creature was Sarah Jane Jones. Jones himself he despised, but his feeling toward Mrs. Jones was stronger than contempt. To him it was odious that she should be present in the house at all, and he had obtained from her father a direct promise that she should not be allowed to come behind the counters after their opening day. "'George,' she said, coming up to him, I have come upstairs because I wish to have a few words with you, private. "'Will you take a chair?' said he, placing one for her. One is bound to be courteous to a lady, even though that lady be a harpy. "'George?' she again began. She had never called him George before, and he felt himself sorely tempted to tell her that his name was Mr. Robinson. "'George, I brought myself to look upon you quite as a brother-in-law, you know.' Have you? said he. Then you have done me an honor that does not belong to me, and never will. Now don't say that, George. If you'll only bring yourself to show a little more spirit to Marianne, all will be right yet. What was she that she should talk to him about spirit? In these days there was no subject which was more painful to him than that of personal courage. He was well aware that he was no coward. He felt within himself an impulse that would have carried him through any danger of which the result would not have been ridiculous. He could have led a forlorn hope, or rescued female weakness from the fangs of devouring flames. But he had declined, he acknowledged to himself that he had declined, to be mauled by the hands of an angry butcher who was twice his size. One has to keep one's own path in the world he had said to himself, but nevertheless one avoids a chimney-sweeper. Should I have gained anything had I allowed that huge monster to hammer at me? So he had argued. But though he had thus argued, he had been angry with himself, and now he could not bear to be told that he had lacked spirit. That is my affair, he replied to her but those about me will find that I do not lack spirit when I find fitting occasion to use it. No, I'm sure they won't. And now's the time, George. You're not going to let that fellow brisket run off with Marianne from before your eyes. He is at liberty to run anywhere for me. Now look here, George. I know you're fond of her. No, I once was, but I've torn her from my heart "'That's nonsense, George. The fact is, the more she gives herself airs and makes herself scarce and stiff to you, the more precious you think her. Ignorant as the woman was of almost everything, she did know something of human nature.' "'I shall never trouble myself about her again,' said he. "'Oh, yes, you will. And make her Mrs. Robinson before you're done. Now look here, George.' that fellow Brisket won't have her unless he gets the money. "'It's nothing to me,' said Robinson. "'And where's the money to come from, if not out of the house? Now you and Jones has your rights as partners, and I do hope you and he won't let the old man make off with the capital of the firm in that way. If he gives Brisket five hundred pounds, and there isn't much more left... I'll tell you what, Mrs. Jones.' He may give Brisket five thousand pounds, as far as I am concerned. Whatever Mr. Brown may do in that way, I shan't interfere to prevent him. You shan't. It's his own money, and as far as George Robinson is concerned. His own money? And he in partnership with Jones? Not a penny of it is his own, and so I'll make them understand. As for you, you are the softest. Never mind me, Mrs. Jones no, I never will mind you again. Well, to be sure. And you'd stand by and see the money given away in that way to enable the man you hate to take away the girl you love? Well, I never. They did say you was faint-hearted, but I never thought to see the like of that in a thing that called itself a man. And so saying she took herself off. It cannot be, but I am pigeon livered and lack gall to make a prussian bitter, said Robinson, rising from his seat and slapping his forehead with his hand, and then he stalked backwards and forwards through the small room, driven almost to madness by the misery of his position. I am not splenetic and rash, he said, yet have I something in me dangerous. I loved Ophelia. Forty thousand briskets could not, with all their quantities of love, make up my sum. At this time Mr. Brown still lived at the house in Smithfield. It was intended that he should move to Bishopsgate Street as soon as the upper rooms could be made ready for him. But the works had hitherto been confined to the shop. On this, the night of the opening day, he intended to give a little supper to his partners, and Robinson, having promised to join it, felt himself bound to keep his word. "'Brisket will not be there?' he asked, as he walked across Finsbury Square with the old man. "'Certainly not,' said Mr. Brown. "'I never thought of asking him.' And yet when they reached the house, Brisket was already seated by the fire, superintending the toasting of the cheese, as though he were one of the family." It's not my doing, George. Indeed, it's not, whispered Mr. Brown, as they entered the sitting-room of the family. That supper party was terrible to Robinson, but he bore it all without flinching. Jones and his wife were there, and so also, of course, was Marianne. Her he had seen at the moment of his entry, sitting by with well-pleased face, while her huge lover put butter and ale into the frying-pan. Why, Sarah Jane, she said, I declare he's quite a man-cook. How useful he would be about the house. Oh, uncommon, said Sarah Jane, and you mean to try before long, don't you, Mr. Brisket? You must ask Marianne about that, said he, raising his great red face from the fire and putting on the airs and graces of a thriving lover. Don't ask me anything, said Marianne for I won't answer anything. It's nothing to me what he means to try. Oh, ain't it, though? said Brisket. and then they all sat down to supper. It may be imagined with what ease Robinson listened to conversation such as this, and with what appetite he took his seat at that table. Mr. Robinson, may I give you a little of this cheese? said Marianne. What a story such a question told of the heartlessness, audacity, and iron nerves of her who asked it! What power, and at the same time what cruelty, there must have been within that laced bodice when she could bring herself to make such an offer! By all means, said Robinson, with equal courage. The morsel was then put upon his plate, and he swallowed it i would he had poisoned it said he to himself with what delight would i then partake of the dish so that he and she partook of it with me the misery of that supper-party will never be forgotten had brisket been adonis himself he could not have been treated with softer courtesies by those two harpies and yet not an hour ago sarah jane jones had been endeavouring to raise a conspiracy against his hopes What an ass will a man allow himself to become under such circumstances! There sat the big butcher, smirking and smiling, ever and again, dipping his unlovely lips into a steaming beaker of brandy and water, regarding himself as triumphant in the courts of Venus. But that false woman who sat at his side would have sold him piecemeal for money, as he would have sold the carcass of a sheep. "'You do not drink, George?' said mr brown it does not need said robinson and then he took his hat and went his way on that night he swore to himself that he would abandon her forever and devote himself to commerce and the muses it was then that he composed the opening lines of a poem which may yet make his name famous wherever the english language is spoken the golden-eyed sun of the morning rushed Down the wind like a trumpet, his azure locks adorning with emeralds fresh from the ocean. End of chapter nine. Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina.